Amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Jonah, chapter 2. The, um, the passage says it's Jonah 2, but if you notice, as you're turning in your Bibles, I, every, every version is, is broken up a little differently, but at least in, in my version, the, the ESV, English Standard Version, it has cha- uh, verse 17 of chapter 1 as its own separate paragraph, Jonah being swallowed by the fish. And in fact, a fun fact is that the Hebrew Bible, that starts chapter 2, and the English Bible, it ends in chapter 1, and so they kind of set it off. So we're actually going to begin reading uh, verse 17 of chapter 1 through the end of chapter 2. This is God's Word. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I called, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All of your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the root of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is God's word. Sometime when I was a teenager, I can't remember exactly, um, my dad and I shared a, a, a computer game that we liked to play together. Um, and one time, uh, he and I would went into Electronics Boutique, as we used to do. I think there's still some open at this time, Electronics Boutique. But they would sell computer games and video games and other, other you know, back then before they had USB ports, but electronics and things along those lines. And, and I remember just perusing the shelves, said, oh, Dad, look, there's, there's an expansion pack for the game that we play. That's pretty cool. It's like, hey, Dad, it's almost your birthday. Um, what if I buy that for you? I'd really, I mean, you would really enjoy playing that, wouldn't you, Dad? And, and my dad, and I think just one of the wiser moments, not, not implying that the rest weren't wise, one of the wisest moments, better, better comparative, of his parenting years, just looked at me with understanding and some, said something like, sure, Andrew, I would, I'd really enjoy that. So there was Dad's birthday gift. Was it a sincere gift? You know, did, did I love my dad and want to give him a gift? Yeah, yeah, I did. W- was there a little self-interest going on at the same time? Perhaps a little bit. And I believe we can see something similar going on 
in this passage here as we dig into Jonah. What do you make of Jonah so far? Let's be honest, he hasn't had a real great track record. Disobeys a direct command from the Lord. Is a lousy neighbor, showed basically in a negative light compared to the pagans around him. And, And now he's in the belly of the whale. Now he prays by all accounts a beautiful prayer. And yet if you're following the story, it's not so much what Jonah says, but what he doesn't say that might make your heart wonder. Is he sincere? And we're going to explore Jonah's response and see how the way the Lord cares for Jonah. And my prayer is that this sermon encourages you when you're faced with your own sinful flaws and your imperfections. Because here we see that the Lord is patient with flawed saints. That's, that's where we're going today. That's the truth. That the Lord is patient with his flawed saints. And Jonah's response to the Lord's mercy can and should be an encouragement for us to also reach out and receive God's grace. Now, now last time we were in the book of Jonah, um, we focused on the sailors and their response to the Lord's action as he brought the storm in, in a response to Jonah's disobedience. And these were the good neighbors who still very much needed the Lord to break in to their lives if they were going to receive salvation. Their story ends, verse 16, right before we started. They throw Jonah overboard. The sea is calm. They're stopped in their tracks with all in reverent fear. They vow to offer sacrifices to the Lord, and that's where their story ends. And from their point, their vantage point, from as far as they know, Jonah's dead. In fact, it, it is hard to know if Jonah really wanted to live up to that point, right? When he says, throw me overboard, he was certainly expecting to die. Could have been a passive-aggressive prophet. You know, well, at least I won't have to go talk to the Gentiles. Um, and in chapter 4, he does say, um, you know, I'm so angry I want to die. We don't know where Jonah is. But when his body breaks through that storming surface and sinks into the deeps of the depths of the sea, he finds out that he's not quite ready to die as he thinks. Um, you know, in, in chapter 1, when it was only a possibility, Jonah wasn't quite so concerned about his life and the life around him. But, but as one commentator says, now with seconds left, he realizes that his life is really quite precious to him. And, I, you know, if you look at the two paragraphs, at least in my Bible, Jonah being swallowed by the fish is one verse, and his prayer is ten verses. And some of us would probably like to, you know, flip that around in our action-oriented society. There's a lot of questions. It says it's a fish. What was it? Was it a whale? Was it a shark? We don't, how long was Jonah in the water before it swallows him? You know, was, was, was he sinking down? I mean, you can hold your breath for a couple minutes if you know what you're doing. Was, you know, did he get down near the bottom? Um, had he blacked out? We just don't know. I, I do kind of imagine that, you know, Jonah splashes into the water, his life flashes before his eyes, he decides, I, I want to live, he starts praying, and then he, you know, he sees this big dark shape ahead of him, and he probably is like flailing in terror, just a response, and thinks, this is it, and then it turns out to be the Lord's way of salvation for him. Now, from a story point of view, up to this point, it has been rapid-fire actions. God says, do this. Jonah does the opposite. God brings a storm. The sailors are trying to preserve life. They're questioning Jonah. They throw him overboard. It's calm. And now we have this three-day halt to the story. Right? Uh, now it's as peaceful as the surface of the sea. The, the whale is both God's way of rescuing Do- Jonah, but it's also a form of discipline. 
Kids, do your parents ever send you to your room to cool off? Sometimes we call it a timeout. Uh, you just need to calm down a little bit. You need to think about that. Well, this was one big timeout. And, and, and it could have been a little gentler, too. You think about the ways the Lord could have rescued Jonah. I think, I think this was probably not the most comfortable. But Jonah disobeyed. He needed tough love. And, and the overboard plunge and the timeout and the fish gives him a chance to reflect. And from the fish... Perhaps at the end, towards the end of these three days, he prays a a beautiful prayer, maybe not exactly in this form. He might have written it and fleshed it out, but, but this is the heart of the prayer. And so we say, Jonah, is this changed man? Or is he? Well, let's examine the prayer. I said in the, the title, it's, the title is Perfect Prayer and Flawed Saints. Uh, maybe by perfect, maybe a model prayer would be better, because it's not as if it's lacking nothing. But it's a good prayer. It's an ideal prayer. There's much that you can learn from this prayer, and I want us to see that. So uh, just first of all, I, I love the first verse where it says that Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the whale. He prayed to the Lord not just a God, his God. You know, Jonah is the one who has run away. Jonah is the one who has made a mess of his life. Jonah is the one, it's his fault that he is in the whale. It's it's the consequences of his disobedience. And yet he can still pray to the Lord, Yahweh, that's the special covenant name that talks about God's relationship with his people. He can pray to his God. What this tells you is, wherever you are in life, no matter how far you have run away, no matter how deep you have sunk, you can still call out to the Lord your God and he will hear. Now there may, there may be consequences, but God will hear you and respond. And that's exactly what happens. And so in verse 2, he summarizes the, the, his whole situation. I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. And here's some Hebrew parallelism. It's, it's, it's repeating, but adding a little bit more. Out of the belly of Sheol, right, the, the, the realm of the dead, I cried, and you heard my voice. And, and so Jonah then gives this prayer of, of thanks and dedication. And let's, I just want you to see a couple things that we can learn from Jonah as he has just received salvation from near death from the Lord. And first of all, Jonah describes the trouble that he's in. He doesn't skimp in saying how bad things were. Notice the, the vivid imagery. R- read verse um, 3 and 4 again. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me, and all your waves and billows passed over me. So Jonah here is completely overwhelmed. He feels like he's swallowed up. He's, he's about to die to the point that he... Uh, he thinks that he will never see the Lord again. Now, in, in the second part of verse 4, it says, Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. It, it can be translated that way. That's perfectly fine. Uh, another way that it could be translated, though, is that I thought I was never going to see it again. At this point, he says, I'm sinking down. I am driven from your sight. <laughs> never again shall I look on your holy temple. It's possible. That's, that was his mindset. Either one works, but he's like, I... I I'm never going to do this again. I, 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 am, I am cut off. And, and so then the sea starts to claim him. It's, it's eerie language if you look at verse 5. The water closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped around my head. 
the roots of the mountain, that's, that's figuratively speaking like the very bottommost parts, the pillars of the earth were, where it was really associated with the realm of the dead. It talks about the, the bars closed upon me forever. That's, that's, like, that's the realm of the dead where it's like this pit that you sink into and you lose all consciousness. It's, it's like the weeds themselves were streaming up to grab him and pull him down this abyss. So Jonah's saying two things with all this figurative, vivid language. The first was that I was close to death. I was, I was this close to physically dying. But there's also a concept in the Hebrew mind which, is, which you might call living death. So life was supposed to be full of shalom, wholeness. Everything is together as God made it. And it wasn't about just having a beating pulse. It was living this life in fellowship with God and his presence, in, which was at the epitome was the temple, which is why Jonah wants to go back to the temple and worship God. On the other side, of course, you could die, but you could also live in a situation where it was so bad it was as if you were dead. So Naomi, when she lost, all of her, she lost her husbands and her two sons, she's out of the land. She comes back, says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, call me bitter. I'm, I'm in this state of living death. I am away from the presence of the Lord, away from peace, away from shalom. And that's what Jonah is saying here. I, got, I started to experience living death. I, 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 I saw a glimpse of what it would be like to be cut off from him. You know, I, I wanted to flee from his presence. It said chapter one, I'm fleeing away from the presence of the Lord. But now that I keep going down and now that I see the seaweed coming up and the bars of the gates, this is terrifying. You know, kids, there may be some of you here. Maybe you're older. Maybe you're not interested in Jesus. Maybe you're even here today at church because your parents say you have to be. And be, if you're honest, you'd rather be somewhere else. You'd rather be far away from here. I would just say, be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you wish for. You know, Faith Church, we are, we are not perfect. We are flawed saints after all. Um, but if you go out into a world that promises you an exciting new way of living, and, and you put your life into that, you're going to find out that in the end, you might just be living in living death. Prodigal sons about that, isn't it? Well, Jonah says, this is where I was. I was, I was living death at the sea in my icy grave. And, and, and yet, he says, verse 6, you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. Jo- Jonah's cry is this exultant shout. You have delivered me. He's excited. He feels it. He's invested. You know, we talk about salvation a lot. The whole rhythm of our worship service was reminds us of that. Of course, it's a beautiful thing, but when you talk about something so much as the central thing, can't it lose its meaning? Can't it become trite? You know, so you say, well, you know, what did Jesus do for you? Well, well, he died for me. Well, why did he die for you? Well, to save me from my sin. And, and, and you can answer those questions in two different tones that, that completely reveal different hearts. Right? Is, is the salvation that we speak about a, a theoretical idea that sits out there somewhere? Or do you have a gl- glimpse about how much of a sinner you are bef- before a holy God and you realize that Jesus is your only hope of deliverance? My first deployment, I have to get these all right, tell you a story. My first deployment, I was coming back over to Iraq I, had, I, got, I was able to take two weeks of leave, 
and I made it to Baghdad International Airport. And I had one more leg from, from we called it Biop, to QS, which is right below Mosul in northern Iraq. And I, I had an evening flight. And um, so we were all scheduled, and I was in a C-130, and so that's got four propellers, and they had the seats facing in, and usually they'll have seats facing out in the middle, but they took those out so they could put a pickup truck in, and they, they chained it down, and we threw our duffel bags in the back of the pickup truck, and then uh, we get strapped in, but not too loose. We, we kind of loosen the belts, and, you know, it's, it's not that big of a deal. And so we take off, and, you know, maybe hit a 1,000 feet, and we start to take off our, our flak vests. And then all of a sudden I noticed that I was floating in midair. And I was really glad that I loosened and not took off my seatbelt. And then I looked over to the pickup truck, and I noticed that the bags in the pickup truck were just going up and down, doing a kind of a little weightless thing. And then all of a sudden, I noticed my throat in the back of my neck. And what was happening was the C-130 pilot saw a flash and assumed that we were taking fire, and so started combat evasive maneuvers as much as you can in a C-130 cargo plane. And, and then, to top it off, did a combat landing where you kind of do this, and then you do this. And so I remember the crew members coming out, uh, lowering the ramp, turning on the alarm, and said, get out. And so we all run out. Most of us have no idea what's happening. But I will tell you, when I hit the ground, all of a sudden that ground became very real to me. It was my friend, it was precious, and I was grateful to be alive. I was invested. I understood that you know, life is short in that very brief moment. And Jonah's rescue from death is, is even more powerfully the same way for him. Right? And you can tell that he... He, because of this beautiful prayer, like he, he knows that he has been snatched from death. He says salvation belongs to the Lord, and he gives God praise for that. And, and then he desires now a life of fellowship with God. In, in, in verse 7, he moves his focus to worship in the Lord's temple. He says, when my life was fainting away, I, I remembered, meaning I, I called out to you. My prayers came to your temple. You heard me. And so now Jonah says, I want nothing to do with idols, but I just want to go and offer a sacrifice to the Lord. Probably a, a peace offering. I'm studying Leviticus, because Lord willing, I'll be preaching through that next after Jonah. And so the peace offerings were often a vow that you would vow um, when God heard your prayer. And, and it, it was something like, Lord, if you do this for me, I will do that. And this wasn't like a, a bribe or appeasing the gods, but it was a sign of dedication and gratitude. Lord, if you deliver my life from this watery grave, then I will worship you joyfully with your people. And so you see here in this beautiful prayer, Jonah's responding to the Lord in his trouble. The Lord hears him, and he takes the time in detail to answer the Lord, uh, to, to praise the Lord for his deliverance. So in that way, it's, it's a wonderful, it's a model prayer. But how does the Lord receive this prayer? Well, there's, there's two ways to interpret this. The first one is that this is just a beautiful prayer. Jonah can't get back to, to worship the Lord. And after three days of reflection, he's dedicated, ready to live again. And, and God responds to Jonah's prayer and sends him on his way. And, and while I think there is some truth to that, there's also another interpretation which I, which I hadn't heard about until I started uh, studying, but it questions the quality of Jonah's faith. And, and says, well, here's, here's three reasons why maybe, maybe we should look at this prayer again. Is, 
is, is Jonah's, is this really a model prayer? Is there, are, are there flaws here? And so I'm going to, let's just, exa- I'm going to examine this because I think this is important. So first of all, what doesn't Jonah say here in his prayer? Um, what doesn't Jonah say? What type of prayer is Jonah praying here? What, what, you know, and if you think about it, if you look at the Psalms, this prayer is about, it seems very, uh, would, would fit on the lips of someone who's a righteous sufferer. Right? Someone who's gone through this ordeal and, to their knowledge, wasn't their fault. Um, and I just remember that I chose a hymn of preparation and I completely blew through, which, which would have had Psalm 18, where it talks about the Lord is, is my strength and my rock. And in Psalm 18, I'm just going to dip in here, but it, it talks about the, the type of challenges. And, and figuratively speaking, it said, the cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. Does that sound familiar? Jonah's prayer. And then it says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord to my God. I cried for help from his temple. He heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. Oh, there's the temple. There's, there's, there's the deliverance. There's the, there's the temple. And, um, but then it talks about the, that psalmist's righteousness. And how the Lord's going to answer him because of that. And the question you might ask is, well, Jonah, where's the repentance? You know, maybe a psalm like Psalm 51, where it says, Have mercy, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. I, you look at Jonah's prayer again, and you see, okay, it's, it's, it's appropriate to focus on, on God's deliverance, but Jonah, why were you there in the first place? And you look at it, whenever he says, I, you know, I call out to the Lord um, in the belly of Sheol, I cried. He, he's not the, way, the one that's doing the thing. Um, what's verse 4, I am driven from your sight. Like, God, you're the one that's brought this about. Now, he might not be accusing him, but he's certainly not talking about what his part was in getting him there in the first place. You know, reading this out of context, you might think Jonah was having a picnic on the Joppa shore and the sea just came and swallowed him up and here he is in God's good. Jonah's prayer shows a heart trend that's quite concerning. He, he understands that he's rescued, but he doesn't acknowledge or realize the extent to which he needed to be rescued. It's almost like he pictures himself in the wrong story. Let me give you an example. Um, let's just say that somehow I've really offended Elizabeth and I'm in the wrong. I've, I've really hurt her. And it's caused a rift in our relationship. Okay, just think about that. Now, how effective would it be for me to go to the store and get a romantic card that tells her how wonderful she is and and, and write down a whole bunch of uh, paragraphs of my undying love for her and hand it to her? How would that go over? Probably wouldn't work too well for me, would it? So I need to repent. That is not the time to recite love poetry. In fact, she might rightly conclude that I am trying to hide my faults with my protestations of my love for her. She might say, you are living in the wrong world. You are creating a reality where we are okay and we are not. Well, that's concerning. And Jonah seems to be doing the same thing. He, he lacks repentance and substitutes it with solid theology and praise. Wonderful, but what's he missing? 
Also, Jonah still seems to see the pagans' second reason as beyond God's grace. If you look at verse 8 and 9, there is this comparison that Jonah throws in. Those who worship idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Verse 8. But I will worship the Lord, the true God, with vows and offerings. Now, perhaps this is just a theological flourish here, but why does Jonah throw in idols when idols haven't been part of the picture? Um, Well, if you were going to connect idol worshipers to someone in the story, who would it be? Who would, who would be the most, who would make the most sense to connect idol worshipers in that story? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be the pagan sailors that he just left? I mean, those, those are the ones that were crying out to their gods. Um, it seems like he can't help but slip a little comparison between those pagan sailors and himself. Um, now, even, even as Jonah cries out the theme of the book, salvation belongs to the Lord, and he delights in God's deliverance, he he still has yet to learn that this deliverance extends to God and the nations. And interestingly enough, in his prayer, he never said about anything about obeying God and going back and doing what he said, right? Ironically, verse 16, the sailors are also offering vows and sacrifices to the Lord and may have actually found him in his mercy. And the third reason just fits with the rest of the book, that Jonah might have some concerning themes here. He was a disobedient prophet in chapter 1. He's a reluctant preacher in chapter 2. He's a rebellious chapter, prophet in chapter 4. So then to say that this is just a, a complete turnaround doesn't really make sense. So is this prayer a, a beautiful one of truth and rejoicing or self-righteous cover-up? Say both. Both. You know, to say that this prayer was only one of joyful repentance, I really think misses the whole flow of the Jonah story. And yet, in chapter 2, you see that Jonah does really respond to God's grace, and he loves him. You cannot say that Jonah has forsaken the Lord. Chapter 4 will raise those questions. Jonah is so angry, he, he is on the verge of walking away. But here you see true expressions of love. So, so what is Jonah missing? Jonah hasn't been gripped by the ex- greatness, the extent of God's grace, and you can see the fallout. He, he doesn't re- recognize the extent of his own need or the, abound- the power of God's salvation for him, and it affects the way that he views the pagans around him. It's the root of his disobedience. He deserves more than they do. And before you're too hard on Jonah, isn't that often you? And isn't it often me? Now, where, where are you, Jonah? Now, if we are honest, we, we, as, as we recited it in, in the Confession of Faith, our, our best prayers and deeds are mixed with sin and self-righteousness, this side of heaven. And, and it's not just deliberate sins where God said, Jonah, do this, and he did that. But we have blind spots. We have weaknesses. We have imperfections. Now, who we are in Christ is is perfect and accepted as his new creation, but we still have this sin nature inside of us. We have this constant struggle and a need of grace and repentance, this side of the cross. Give you an example from my own personal life. Um, The funny thing about cancer and sickness is that sometimes you're too tired to be either godly or sinful. It doesn't mean that you don't need God's grace, but you don't have the energy to either pursue God in a passionate way, or I've also found that when I was really sick, some of my normal sinful besetting tendencies just went away. I was too tired to to, to pursue those things. Um, 
And then here I am getting better. And then one day out of the blue, out of nowhere, I had this particular thought of mine. And our Lord says, you know, those, those thoughts, evil thoughts in our heart that come to us. We all have them, if we're honest. And maybe because it was kind of an, a, an, a renewed thing. It hadn't been there for a while. It wasn't in my guard. I, I entertained it for a little while. I just, I just hung out there. I, um, guiltily enjoyed it. Until I was convicted and saying, what am I doing? And there I was, frustrated because I did not wake up that morning and say, you know, I think I'm going to start up some old sin patterns again today. It, just, it, it truly did hit me out of nowhere. And yet, there I was, responsible, enjoying, digging in, acting against my nature. And I said, you know what? I need a Savior. I desperately need a Savior. There's no way around that. And Jonah can be a mirror for us, although we may not be exactly like Jonah, to show us symptoms of when we are not gripped by God's grace. So what are these symptoms? What do we see in Jonah? How, how can we look at him and say, oh, is that us? And then go to the Lord and ask for grace and repentance. Well, you know, the first thing is that religious makeup where we put on that flawless face. Um, you know, theology, good deeds, passionate prayers can mask our heart devotion. You know, we, we can be doing something beautiful, but our purpose is not to glorify God, but to either... Sh- impress someone or to cover up something else. I, I, I've given this il- illustration before, but I'll, I'll, I'll say it again. I, um, my second deployment when Elizabeth and I were preparing to go away, I, I wanted to do something special, and so I, I, made a, I had a laser-etched puzzle um, from our wedding picture, and I, I had it broken up into different bags that people would give to her time release, to, a piece at a time, and she loves puzzles, and so I knew this would be great, and of course I started with the most obscure pieces, so it took her a while to figure out it was a picture of us. And then when I came home, I had the last four pieces, which were our face that we put in together. Uh, but as I was handing these out, there was, there, was, um, there was a time that my sister was standing next to a friend that I was going to give to them. Uh, and and, and I, I gave them the bag and just very subtly, you know, dropped in front of my sister what I was doing. And, and later I realized I, I wasn't, in that moment, I wasn't putting the puzzle together to please Elizabeth. I was putting the puzzle together to tell my sister what a good husband I was. And you see how we can take even good things and use it as religious makeup, even right before the people that we love, where we say we want one thing, to obey and glorify God, but really we care about something else. And we can use that obedience in a limited sense to get what else we want. Well, if you have that makeup and that, that, that flawless face, then the second thing we see for Jonah, repentance, especially re- specific repentance, is not part of your vocabulary. It's not a very familiar thing to you. I'll ask you, when was the last time you repented? Now, I, I pray it was during the time of confession. That's, that's one of the reasons why we do it. Uh, I pray it was for real. But before then, when was the last time that you repented to the Lord and, and by extension to others? It's appropriate to say, this is where I've sinned. And would you pray for me? Right? Repentance involves naming specifically, being aware of, and turning away from your sin. It means being honest with yourself and then God, and, and then others. Or you say, I still fall short. I still need mercy and grace. Right? When was the last time that, that you've repented? And, and then... And then there's also this attitude where you can be quick to judge. You, you, you feel like... I've 
I've obtained a, a slightly higher platform than p- other people. And, and this can be so insidious. There's, there can be an air around people. Um, I had it when I was a young man, so I assume I still have it today, though I pray it's less. Um, where, you know, I, I have a certain way of interpreting the Bible, you know. I've read, I've read John Calvin, or um, it can be theological, you know. I, I, I was very, I, I was so hard on army chaplains, I was their worst nightmare as a, as a guy in the, you know, and, and kind of grading their sermons because they, they, you know, the quality of their exposition or, or who they're quoting or their application, a lack of patience with other people. Or simply, you know, because of, because of the good works that you do, starting to take stock in those. We can have strong, straight statements of truth that are true, but yet lack compassion or lament or come at the wrong time because we feel like we are qualified and able to give these to other people, and naturally they need them. Right? There's, there's this air of having arrived. And so in all of these, we're putting on our religious makeup to kind of, you know, bolster ourselves or, or, or deny that, that we need grace, whether you know, we refuse or, or are blind to repenting to our sins or, or judging, it all shows that there's a lack of understanding the depths of our need. Well, but wasn't the point that the Lord is patient with flawed saints. So Christians, how do you respond to this? It's, it's not, well, just don't be like Jonah. You know, try harder. Now, you can love the Lord truly, um, but your faith is flawed. What do you do with it? If you are a perfectionist, if it's up to you somehow, it will ruin you. It will drive you nuts. So we said in, in Sunday school, you're either going to deny it or, or you're going to be utterly defeated. If I can't do anything that's completely good, if my gifts are always tainted, if, if I even need God's grace to accept my good works, why even try because of the Father's response. Um, remember what my dad said to me when I said, you know, I, I'll get this gift for you, Dad. Yeah? He said, go ahead, son. Uh, something along those lines. I, I'd like that. Um, my, my father was gracious and patient, and he accepted my gift. And that's what you see here. How patient is the Lord with Jonah? He withheld judgment in chapter 1. And even in the midst of the storm, he he gives Jonah the fish not only to save him, but to reflect on his actions. He actually is merciful to Jonah and forces him to continue in obedience. That was what's best for Jonah. And at the very end of the book, we'll see he pleads with Jonah when the very relationship is in doubt. That is patience. And that is kindness of the most holy God. So how can he do that? Unlike, unlike the day, my day, where my father was also imperfect, you know, um, the Lord cannot accept imperfection. How can he allow this? And that's the good news of Jesus. It's the gospel that we proclaim. Jesus himself compares himself to Jonah as the greater Jonah, that, that he came down as a prophet. He lived a blameless and obedient life. But Jesus saw an even greater bleakness than the depths of the sea. Jesus saw the wrath of the Father and it was not pulled back. On the cross, Jesus experienced living death. He was fully cut off from the Father's presence. And you think about it, Jonah was the one who sings the psalm of the righteous sufferer when he should have been repenting. Jesus was the one who could have sung the psalm of the righteous sufferer, but he dies for sinners. 
And he dies for you, and he dies for me. He dies for our willful disobedience, but also our blind spots, our weaknesses, our imperfections. Yes, he takes those too. And so your response to the Lord's salvation, look at the cross. And accept that the Father loves you because of Jesus, who took living death to give you life in his presence. And live out of that. Do you know God is going to call you to live in a place, to serve in a place where your flaws will be exposed? And how do you deal with that? How do you, how do, you do that when, when you know, this, is, this isn't me at my best? This is bringing up my sinful parts. It's showing them to the world. You do it by reveling in God's grace and you can be the first to say, yes, I am a sinner who has received God's grace. And you can too. The more you're gripped by God's grace, the more freedom you will experience to worship more freely, to admit your faults and not cover them up, and to extend mercy to others as God has done to you. People of God, there are times when we are Jonah, and yet the Lord is patient with flawed saints. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, You are holy and we are laid bare before you. You know us and our sins far greater than we know ourselves. And yet in Christ, we're beloved and accepted. We praise you. May it be something that as we go out this week, we think about, we reflect about, even talk to each other about that it would shape the way that we live and repent and we love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.